All right, welcome to Single Minded Conversations. I'm your host, Jesse Single. I'm a writer and podcaster, guy who's on Twitter too much. Uh, check out my podcast, Blocked and Reported. And my newsletter is at uh, jessesingle.substack.com. This is sort of a, a cousin to the newsletter. Uh, today, I mostly just want to take people's questions, so you can feel free to jump in the queue. Questions or comments, criticisms, anything. Uh, I want to tell you a little bit more about Chris Rufo, the conservative activist and uh, wokeness awareness raiser. Um, I got into a little bit of a spat with him. Maybe this is too inside baseball, but I did get into a little bit of a spat with him on Twitter because I just don't like think he's a principled guy and he took umbrage at that. And I mean, maybe this isn't the most interesting argument. It just seems pretty obvious to me that when he launches certain complaints about people or institutions, he does so in a very like just because of politics. So he's tried to spread the word that there's some sort of epidemic of um, sex crimes occurring among Disney employees. He, he did this after Disney came out against the so-called don't say gay bill. Like he had no interest in exposing this before that. And if Disney had come out the other way in support of the bill, he, he never would have done that. It, that seems pretty obvious to me. So if you're going to pretend to care about protecting kids and pretend to care that this is like an ongoing danger, uh, you, you would talk about it. You wouldn't only talk about it if it's, if it's your political enemy. So I just think a lot of what's going on here with that and with his claim, um, sort of vague claim that, that we also should be worried about sex offense in school, like any more than usual. He's just going after institutions he doesn't like. It, it, it's sort of like um, a slightly more dressed up and fancy and, and less shrill version of James Lindsay's okay groomer thing, where if you disagree with Chris Rufo, there's a heightened uh, chance he'll sort of say or imply on the uh, Manhattan Institute's website that you've got something wrong with you, that you're like harming kids. So I just, I just think that's really sleazy. Um, of course, Twitter being Twitter, there are also people mad at me that I wasn't mad enough at Chris Rufo that I won't sort of call him a fascist or consider him an untouchable. I still think conversation is useful. Uh, even in this case, when I was conversing him after I called him unprincipled and a bad actor, which I, I do think he is. Um, I just continue to think that, a, calling some everyone a fascist is never going to work. Chris Rufo is not a fascist. He's a conservative. He's like a pretty classic old-school social conservative. We're going to have to deal with him if we disagree with him. They, they are friends and neighbors a lot of the time. Um, and just I, I sort of think – I was talking to a friend who's like actually in the progressive world politics-wise who was saying uh, he can't stand Chris Rufo, but he thinks Rufo does a really good job at what he does. And from where I sit – Rufo will be able to generate an endless number of outrage stories about really weird diversity trainings, really weird ideas in the DEI space in companies and schools. Uh, he came to my attention because he would often post stuff on Twitter where I'm just like, yeah, that's really bad. No one should be taught that. Employees definitely shouldn't have to sit through that. Now, this stuff is probably 1% or 0.5% of like what you do at a school or a company. I, I think we should put context in it, but um, I'm very sympathetic to John Chait's argument that when the wacky stuff pops up, we need to just be able to say we don't agree with that. We think it's bad. Instead, there's this thing where, like, whatever the new innovation is in talking about diversity and identity and race, people just line up to, to throw flowers at it. I mean, this happened with Robin D'Angelo. She wrote a ridiculous book, it got a lot of softball coverage, and, and the backlash took longer than it should have. Um, so I think we can we can agree with a few different things at once. I I, I think Rufo is 
he's not evil, but he's a bad actor and he's unprincipled in the way a lot of activists are. I mean, I've criticized a lot of activists on the left for being unprincipled and, and bad actors in the same way. They're trying to accomplish a goal and they will shave the truth in a way that makes it easier for them to promote that goal. That doesn't make him unique. It just makes him not as trustworthy. At the same time, he's not a fascist. It's calling him a fascist just, just sucks all the life out of that word. And it's an important word. Uh, and then on the third hand, he is sometimes pointing to legitimately bad stuff. And when he does, we should acknowledge that. All right, uh, Humpty, what is up? Hmm. Let's see if I can get this to work. Hey. Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, uh, thanks. Um, you know, uh, you mentioned, like, James Lindsay talking about Rufo and... Uh, like Rufo, a lot of these, I, I guess they call them IDW guys, intellectual dark web guys. Uh, like, I feel like a lot of them seemed like they were making a lot of interesting points a few years ago and um, just kind of act like insane <laughs> right wingers today, you know? Someone, someone said, I forget if they were saying I should write about it on my newsletter or we should do a newsletter segment, but just like to tick off all the folks who seemed you know, heterodox, like not, I didn't agree with them a hundred percent, but reasonable and who have just completely gone off the deep end. I think that's totally a phenomenon. I mean, why do you think that happens? I, I think, I think probably when they start my, my, uh, sort of armchair psychologist idea is that once they start questioning some of these things, they get a pretty harsh backlash, uh, you know, from sort of the, uh, left liberal establishment and that just kind of drives them to be increasingly like spiteful and and angry about it and and then they and it's kind of hard to on your own out on a limb so they're looking for allies and so you know they're they more and more align themselves with right-wing right-wing organizations and you know pretty soon that's just who they are i think that's, that's a good theory. theory that's my theory no i think that's a very good theory i i think a little bit of like Brett Weinstein and Evergreen State, and and what what happened at Evergreen State was like a really ridiculous blow up uh, over over nothing, and uh, I think he was justified in feeling outraged by that and feeling wrong. But I do think when that happens to you, and the right sort of beckons you, and the other IDW folks beckon you, and they say like, "Come hang out with us, you'll be safe here." You need to keep your guard up a little just to make sure you're you're continuing to hear a variety of voices. And I think that led him down a path of some pretty wacky and potentially harmful vaccine stuff. Um, on the other end of that, there's the Yale professor, Nicholas Christakis, who also went through sort of a, a, a ridiculous online controversy, but, but has kept his head. And I, I don't know what differentiates the two. I don't know if it's like a personality characteristic or whether they have like a strong and stable social network. In my case, like whenever I've dealt with bullshit online, I have a lot of normie Obama voting liberal friends who I can hang out with like offline. And I think that really will prevent me from ever going down some um, dangerous rabbit hole. But I don't know. Your theory makes a lot of sense to me, Humpty. Yeah. I I think it's just like, I think some people need to have, like the first is having a fairly large following maybe is part of it. And like, if you're too heterodox about everything all the time, you never, you don't, you can never get that like real surge of, of like enthusiastic followers that you can, you can from sort of aligning yourself with one of the big existing 
that, that's the other thing. Yeah. It's also like the the audience you hear from will be very anti woke or anti whatever, and like I I get a disproportionate amount of emails from from folks in that camp, and there's this phenomenon of audience capture that I think Sam Harris came up with, where it's like you start to maybe even unconsciously shape your own beliefs and what you talk about to what the loudest portion of your audience wants you to do. And I think that's poison to good writing and thinking. Yeah. Anyway, uh, thank you for the call. The really good question and okay. comment. Thanks. Other folks should get in the queue. We only have a couple of people. Patrick, what is up? Hey, Jesse. Uh, so, uh, what you guys were just talking about, I do find fascinating. I'm wondering, uh, do you think there's like a certain like Twitter following like amount that like creates the brain poisoning that seems <laughs> like to at like ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine, you're totally healthy and normal. Then that hundred thousand, you just become a crazy person. Well, yeah, I mean, it seems to happen. So uh, I don't imagine you're very big on the what's called the i guess the new right but one of the hosts of the fed post it's one of the podcasts that was mentioned in the recent vanity fair article that everyone should by, read that by the way it's very interesting yeah so one of the hosts of the fed post basically had like a meltdown on twitter for the past week because uh he doesn't really consider himself the new right like uh, Red Scare had like kind of a similar arguments to it, but just like kind of watching like the meltdown uh, of like the kind of reaction to it, it just it seems like I think a lot of people are having issues with uh, celebrity where you have enough of a like, kind of a follower count that you either like go into what your fans believe you to be the kind of uh, audience capture that you were talking about that Sam Harris was uh, bringing out or you have some kind of negative reaction where it seems that like people have a hard time with like others kind of opinions and like crafting their own kind of beliefs about themselves so you either kind of form what your audience wants you to believe or you have these kind of like meltdowns Who, what was the name of the person who had the new right meltdown I want to look into that uh, so his name is Class uh, Redux Killer. He's on um, Twitter. Uh, Blackpill.com is, I think, uh, what his handle is. Yeah. So he is, he's basically like been like a big, like, uh, kind of anti COVID. Like, it's hard to even categorize his politics because they're so disjointed where it's like he's very like against like elites and like the wealth transfer of like through covid but he I, he would describe him i guess as politically homeless but it's this weird kind of like there's a lot if you read the van people should read that people should read joe bernstein's piece about this film festival in manhattan and brooklyn that attracts a lot of the same folks um there's also a tablet profile of Curtis Yarvin by Jacob Siegel. I've been mainlining this stuff recently because I realized I need to learn more about it. A lot of it, it is very hard to suss out a coherent ideology. I think Peter Thiel and, and um, Curtis Yarvin seem to actually think we should have like basically a CEO monarch, which is batshit insane. The yeah. 20-something kids going to film festivals and parties in – like fucking Bushwick or Lower Manhattan, I, I often it's hard to tell what their uh, ideology is, except that they're disgusted by progressivism and and they really love transgression. But I find the whole thing very extremely dark and and nihilistic. Uh, like there's like this youthful energy and exuberance there, but it seems to be like 
very misplaced. But I guess that's what older I'm getting old now, and that's what old people always say about young people. I mean, I kind of understand the idea that you're disgusted by progressivism because uh, the idea basically was that, like, uh, we had the whole, like, kind of woke takeover and it didn't produce the results that was, like, intended to be. But I think it's more like politics is hard and, like, trying to do things that actually get the result that you want is hard. It's difficult, yeah. So you just kind of have to, like, try different things out. So... It's a weird kind of sphere where I think there are a lot of disaffected youth that don't necessarily know what they actually want to do. But I think, I don't know, for me, it's just uh, I'll bitch about all the Democrats that I vote for. Yeah, forever, same. That's just kind of like my thing. Michelle Goldberg had a column about it, too. And I thought she I like I like her, but I thought she sort of she made it sound like, yeah, everyone knows online progressivism is annoying. And I think she might have downplayed or misunderstood the extent to which this stuff is creeping into real life. And like the average person is not going to get fired or unpersoned for like saying the wrong thing in a meeting, but it happens and it happens so much that there's like now a long list of anecdotes that will circulate endlessly. So my theory is that like in some cases kids are drawn to this stuff because they like, these are, these are kids from backgrounds like mine. Like they would otherwise be working for a media outlet or an NGO or, um, doing something academic and they look to those spaces and they just seem like miserable spaces. You, who would want to hang out in a space like that? And I think that draws them to the Yarvin esque teal esque stuff, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, it's the kind of like unfortunate thing is that like, there doesn't seem to be very many other kind of options. The one hope I kind of have right now is that uh, the push for like workers rights and unionization, I think is a good thing. Yes, yeah. I, I, I don't know much about that, but I sense there's been like lit people who follow labor issues are surprised at the Amazon thing and that the general outlook has improved. And I, and you know, that's exactly what I bitch about people not focusing on material issues. That is, when done right, when it's like unionizing Amazon worker, uh, Amazon factory workers, rather than like the the New York Times Guild, which ends up often being not substantive. I, I, that stuff is incredibly important. Yeah, no, I'm very happy about all that. And I think if there's a rebellion against wokeism, I think the one thing that wokeism gets the worst is like its treatment of workers, where there's this idea that we need to take away workers' rights to like kind of achieve like racial progressive you like lgbt kind of unity where it's like no uh workers rights are very good we need to strengthen them kind of thing like yeah we complain about like teachers union police union all we want but the reason why they're so powerful and like tough is because of workers rights yeah. like those are good to like kind of have especially in a situation where uh material reality is hurting people the most what I find most surprising is like there's a type of young, supposedly pro-labor type who will call for giving management more power to discipline people or to monitor them like in the name of um, equity inclusion. Like uh, there was a little bit of this at the New York Times. It's to me a misunderstanding of what, what a labor union is supposed to do. You're supposed to make your, your colleagues' jobs easier, not – add more reasons they could get in trouble if they say or write the wrong thing. But anyway, great call, Patrick. Thank you for it. All right. Thank you. KW, what is up? How much? Uh, can you hear me, Jesse? I can. All right, good. Uh, I don't have much to say about Chris Rufo. I pretty much agree with you on all points there. I 
did want to compliment that article you wrote on your Substack about Twitter, about the whole, um, I can't think of the right way. To, it's Let me just, really, I can summarize it very quickly just for anyone who's listening, but this was a, a paywalled Substack thing I did yesterday. You, you common, if you're a Twitter skeptic like me, or you think Twitter outrage is stupid and harmful, people will always all, often tell you Twitter is a voice for marginalized people. It's just marginalized people speaking truth to power. My argument is that that's ridiculous because almost everyone on Twitter is much wealthier and further to the left and, and more privileged uh, than the average American, even if they're in like a, a you know, have an identity characteristics that's traditionally marginalized. That's, that's the elevator pitch for my story. Sorry, go ahead. Correct. And I agree with every word of that. And I left Twitter in 2018 because of how bad this stuff started getting. Uh, mostly it was in film Twitter that I saw. Uh, it get really bad. Uh, note to self, take any sort of object and attach the word Twitter to the end of it. That instantly makes it bad. I'll tell you that much <laughs> yeah. sure. Uh, but anyway, it's just, and there was always that voice in my head that was saying, oh, you just, you're just mad that marginalized people get more of a voice now. You're fragile. White fragility, white fragility, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It really got in my head. As I told you on my last call, I have some certain mental health issues and Twitter really made it worse. And even after I left, I, I still couldn't help but go back and stalk uh, certain profiles of people that I really should be avoiding uh, people. Like you got to just stay away from it. I have some of the same like uh, tendencies to fixate on online conflict because because my own broken uh, brain. What I'm curious because I'm curious how communities go from well functioning to toxic, and what was it about film Twitter that changed or curdled? Well, this is going to sound really crazy. Uh, we had that recent Oscars uh, controversy with Will Smith, yes. right? That was all kind of dumb, but even before that, I think. You know, I used to, I follow the Oscars. I sort of treat it like a sporting event. It's fun. I root for my favorites to win. And it's not much more than that. But after Trump won, things started getting nuts. Um, there was a movie called La La Land that I really loved. I really wanted to win. It was up against Moonlight, uh, which is a movie about a black gay man. Uh, you can probably guess the dynamics that we're going to, that we're about to unfold here. One was painted as the righteous, movie that needs to win in the age of trump the other one is uh you know it's like it is like dancing white people I, I i say this as someone i didn't see la la land i did really like moonlight but i can i can see how those um dynamics would play like out. And yeah. the thing is that you know it just became a complete like you know a moral contest and it got even uglier the year after that when there was a movie called uh, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, uh, which I don't know if anybody's heard of. It got absolutely shit on because it has a racist cop character in it that they thought uh, was redeemed. I don't know. It's an incredibly online, stupid controversy that would take forever to explain to a normal person. So don't worry about that. But the thing is, that's when things started getting bad and people who I used to like to hang out with just got angrier and angrier and more extreme about everything. It's the same mentality that infected media Twitter also infected film Twitter. And it just got so fraught that I left and I still had those, you know, I still had those doubts. And I think about a year ago, John McWhorter was on Bill Maher and he said something that I'll never forget. 
he said, it's not so much these people, it's not so much that they're woke, it's the woke people who are mean. And it's the woke people who are mean that are that really just make life miserable for everybody. And yeah, I think in some cases, um, any like morally freighted belief or belief system is going to attract people who use it to bully. And and there's obviously a huge amount of that on the right, like small town evangelical church culture. It's like, no, I'm not being a bully because I'm a sociopath. I'm being a bully because like you didn't you didn't praise Jesus enough or whatever. I'm obviously mangling that, but. It's a it's a really ugly part of human nature when people people use morality as a cudgel to just to hurt other people or to, as a power play. Yeah, and that's why the, um, when people on the right like to say, "Oh, we're headed toward uh, Maoism, cultural revolution, communism, blah blah blah," I think that's overblown. I'm sure you do too. What I, there's just no way we're ever headed toward a left wing Mao type of government. A vast majority of the country. Yeah, that's not how. There's a lot of things I'm worried about. That is not one of them. That is not one of them. But what I think it resembles more than Maoism, what's going on, is the moral majority. Yeah. Like a left wing version of the old moral majority. And, you know, I keep telling myself, look, that the right wing moral majority back in the day fell apart under its own weight. This stuff will too eventually. I don't know when, but it eventually will. I just don't know what's going to replace it. Yeah, we'll see. No, it's a great call. I am. Um, th- there's also interesting parallels there in terms of trying to get pop culture canceled and like yeah. burn, usually, usually metaphorically burn like bad or quote unquote harmful books. It, it really seems to be the same feelings, the, just with a different political villains. Joker movie from a few years ago. <laughs> yeah, off to no other. Yeah. Really, really did. One final note before I go is that. Uh, much like you, I do have some Obama liberal normie friends as well, and they keep me from going down the Dave Rubin, Tim Pool, and sadly Brett Weinstein path. Uh, one thing that's also great, uh, I'm one of that 2% of uh, Barpod fans that love sports. Uh, I, nice. I, I watch a lot of sports. Uh, hey, I'm glad your Celtics won. I'm glad you knocked that anti-vax asshole Kyrie Irving out of the playoffs. <laughs> Very happy to see that. And sports is one of those outlets that is a good way to escape the culture war. It, it always has been. Yeah, no, and it definitely uh, brings different people together. So, yes, sports are an excellent distraction for me. Uh, I'll be watching probably five hours of basketball tomorrow if I can. So thank you for the call. Thank really you. appreciate it. Anytime. What is – I never know if I to call you AABBB or XYZ or what you're – I never know if to use someone's like listed name or their handle. But anyway, welcome. Thank you. Uh, hey, good to be here. I uh, was talking with your the mod of your subreddit, uh, Soft and Chewy. Hey, can you um? Is there a way to turn your speaker off or just get the mic closer? You're just it's hard to hear you. Hello, can you hear me? Is it better? That's better, much better. Yeah. I was talking to your uh, the moderator of your subreddit, Soft and Chewy. Yeah. Um, and he had some criticisms of your episodes about uh, libs of TikTok. But uh, he's too much of a coward to come on here. So I figured I would come on and sort of raise them in his stead. Crit- Although, criticize I, away. I agree with you. I agree, but I wouldn't sort of put his criticisms to you. So his, his criticism is, is stuff to the effect of you don't appreciate or you, given your tone, the way you sort of 
you sort of dismiss libs of TikTok, you don't appreciate how big a problem this is. And furthermore, how big a problem it is that there's no outlets to talk about this, despite the fact that for like other things, like mainstream media will talk about, you know, whatever Nazism like constantly, they will never give light to this. And there's a complete double standard in the media where these issues are just like considered to be completely relevant. And so there's one, uh, the idea is there's one uh, social media account that's sort of giving voice to it, even if they get a lot of stuff wrong where they're not very scrupulous. It's the one thing that is talking about it and they're going after that. It just seems, he's saying it seems like misaligned or a lack of consideration for the uh, disparity, for the, for the lack of symmetry here. That's what he was saying. Well, I don't know. I mean, to me, part of it is like libs of TikTok will just lie and they'll disseminate stuff about specific school districts without fact-checking it. That was not just um, the hoax uh, we talked about, but also things like this, this ridiculous claim about Austin kids dressing up as furries and using litter boxes. So the question of whether the le- left doesn't cover it, I, I think progressive outlets – obviously don't cover fringy left stuff as much as they cover fringy right stuff. But in the case of libs of TikTok, it's often, there isn't a story. The story is a teacher did a very dumb 45 second TikTok video in which she expressed uh, a dumb opinion. A lot of them are just cringe. They don't rise to the level of a news story anyway. So I, I don't, I'm not sure I buy the idea that like in much the same way, I actually don't think progressive outlets should cover if a 17-year-old does a racist TikTok video, that's between him and his God and his community. I don't think that should be a national story either. So I just I sort of think the same logic should prevail. I think he might agree. Well, I think what he would say is that uh, the, what teachers are saying is, is actually super relevant. So if it's a random person, that's one thing. But the people should be aware of what teachers are talking about. They're brag- Not only are they saying it, but he says that because they're bragging about it, that shows what kind of culture there is. Like if it's, you know, it's not just one person saying this, there's a culture around the idea that this is good and it will get you social credit for, you know, hey, I, you know, whatever, said this bizarre thing to my kids. Um, So he's saying like, first of all, the fact that they're teachers is relevant and the fact that there's a culture that says this is like acceptable or this is actually uh, laudable, that's super relevant. That's what he would say. Um, This is... 0.00001% of teachers. It's like the difference between talking about there's some very, I can find you a million crazy seeming professors. The median college professor is just teaching microeconomics at a community college. I, I think if you found evidence that in a given school system, they're teaching bad or developmentally inappropriate stuff. I report away, and I, I, I'm with you that I think in some cases that reporting hasn't taken place. So when Rufo posts the, um, oh, what's that town outside Chicago? Evanston, uh, Skokie stuff, where it's like seems to be wildly developmentally inappropriate stuff about gender identity for first graders. That's totally fair game. I, I think a local reporters, not that there's any left, should report on those controversies. And in in Loudoun County. It was much more complicated than people made it out to be. It wasn't like a woke, anti-woke thing. And both the dispatch and Matt Taibbi actually reported on what parents there were upset about. And it was much more about school reopening and the idea of getting rid of accelerated classes. I think all that stuff's fair game. And in reporting on it, you will probably find some wacky teachers who will serve as colorful characters. But in most cases, a 45-second TikTok of a teacher being dumb, I, I would just leave it alone as a journalist personally. Well, to be clear, I actually agree with you here, but 
I, I do want to give give sort of voice to his uh, his perspective. Uh, so, do you think that lived of TikTok has journalistic merit at any level? Almost none. I think once in a while they'll post something that's like legitimate. Um, they have a lower hit rate than Rufo. Rufo sometimes distorts stuff, but not as much. Uh, Rufo's harder to argue against. I, no, I think Libs of TikTok is way more harm than good. I also do not want uh, the national spotlight cast on a random teacher saying something dumb, which again, same standard I would apply to a 17-year-old who said something racist on social media. I know they're not the same because the, the, the 17-year-old doesn't have any power. The teacher has power over kids. I, I just think it's way too blunt an instrument and causes a lot of chaos. And and But she's, you know, she's a conservative. It's like with Rufo. You can't expect them... They're, they're partisan players. You can't expect them to abide by the same rules as journalists or have the same integrity we're supposed to have, not that not that we do most of the time. Uh, it's funny. You said that he has no journalistic merit. I think there's an episode of the new podcast that your co-host is cheating on you with. Uh, but Nellie Bowles said, actually, she thinks that it has journalistic merit, which is kind of surprising. Uh, I think it has some, uh, but I get what you're saying. I definitely agree with you. Like The, the not picking element I mean, uh, maybe not none, but just not. Yeah, the nut picking and the and the bringing the hammer of social media down on random schmucks. That's what I, I really I, don't like. I do think there may be kind of a double standard here, though, because like this type of thing is so common in journalism, right? I mean, I'm sure you would agree at some level. I mean, not to the same degree. Like they're going, she's like saying, like, oh, get him fired, right? But you know, even that, even that is pretty common in some like in some more unscrupulous journalistic. Topics, I agree, right? Yeah, no, I think it's a double standard, but I don't think either side should do it. Yeah, so I guess I think maybe his criticism is something like, well, uh, it's easy for you to say this is a problem, and maybe he can agree on some level, but this is like the only counterbalance to this like huge industry of take artists doing sort of the opposite thing. It only goes one way. Well, no, it's it's not the only – there isn't quite so big a, a – uh, asymmetry because there's Fox News and there's a huge number of right wing blogs and anti woke media. Um, so I don't think they're that like besieged, you know. I think he thinks there's a level of besiegement. I, it's hard for me personally, uh, speaking as myself, it is hard to tell how common woke stuff is. Yeah. Woke, woke, woke is like it's a lot less common than it seems, but also sometimes more common. And it depends a lot where you are. It's very hard to, to get an idea. I mean, like, how many people just actually believe it? How many people just go along with it to sort of, you know, save their own skin? It's a hard question. Uh, but, you know, I do think some of these, on some level, some of these videos are like, it's like, wow, people really are actually doing this and are, you know, trying to do stuff in real life. That's crazy. Like, it's a level that I wouldn't have expected to, to rise to, you know, earlier than a few years ago. And it tells me something. But I do think the way these types of hate accounts hit your brain is just so toxic because it just yeah. like, is designed like the same way, like high fructose corn syrup is designed to like make you eat all the, the Cheetos or whatever. It's just designed to, you know, put you into a rage and make you sort of the most bubble oriented person possible. Yeah. Like that's my criticism of it. Uh, but I do think there's a lot, like, obviously I, I think you, you go ahead. Oh no! Yeah, I, I I just I do want to get to our last couple of callers, but okay, I, sure. I I think you're making very fair or you're channeling these criticisms fairly, but um yeah well, the, let to, me just judge of that you may ask him. <laughs> yeah, to me the start and the end of it is like I think both sides should should back away from certain styles of like outreach driven journalism. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, man. But Ben, go ahead. Hey, how's it going, Jesse? Good. 
Awesome. Um, yeah, I had some thoughts about something that's maybe changing the direction a little bit, but um, yeah, I, I've been thinking a lot lately about um, like communication with people who I, I guess for lack of a better term, uh, you know, would be described as woke or leftist or whatever. Um, and why it's difficult to talk to people about some of these topics, like whether it's gender or race or whatever it is, it seems like there's some kind of fear that people have in discussing it that I find interesting. Yeah. And it seems like a lot of the fear is this kind of fear of invalidation, uh, this idea that somebody's experience might be invalidated um, by discussion of it or even, I mean, even just discussion of it. So I think what I find so fascinating is, is the fact that this like exists as a concept that like it's possible for you mean validation discourse yeah exactly like the the idea that it's possible that somebody could validate somebody else's experience or invalidate somebody's experience is crazy oh yeah that doesn't make any sense not just well it's crazy and like very psychologically unhealthy i would argue i i absolutely agree and it's like when people say that that it's possible to invalidate somebody's experience that's only possible if somebody if somebody is seeking validation from the world yeah themselves. there, there right? are like, like there are places in the world um, <clears throat> where certain ideas are so strictly protected that you can't really invalidate them uh, you, you cannot really invalidate the greatness of Vladimir Putin's rule uh, in Russia like that's that's but that's like in in mm-hmm. a truly pluralistic democratic society, the idea that you are owed validation or that no one can question your identity or who you are right, is, is right. not like this. Obviously there's limits to this. If, if invalidation means violence or saying your group shouldn't have basic civil rights, well, if that's exactly, what you mean. Yeah. 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 And I, I'm also Jewish. So I, I, I come at this from a kind of more recent understanding of Jewish history and culture. Uh, you know, it's something that's been there my entire life, but I never really understood it until recently of like, one of the reasons that people, I I might've even mentioned this before in the past on on, on a call, but like one of the reasons that people don't think that Jews are victims is because Jews don't believe that they're victims. Right. And like, it's part of the culture to value things like perseverance. And it's just not like in the psyche of a lot of people in the Jewish culture to kind of claim some sort of invalidation from like the existence of Nazis or whatever. Like I've seen, I live in Los Angeles, right. But I've seen swastikas spray painted on walls and like in my neighborhood. And to me, it's like, yeah, could I let that invalidate me? Sure. I could, but that is something that I would be letting invalidate me. Or it's like conceptually, it doesn't even make sense. So I don't really know exactly what my question is, but, but how, like, I guess, how do we, how do we bridge that? Because that seems like the actual conversation that we're having. It's not about transgender uh, biology or about, you know, whatever. Uh, It's, it seems to be about like, Hey, this thing is just not up for debate. Like nobody's talking about invalidating anybody's experience. If that's somebody that's something, if that's something that somebody's receiving, then, that's something that they need to work. Yeah. On. No, I mean, I, you, that's not, what's... You're, you're making all my points for me. I mean, it's, um, 
I mean, it's it's also like the thing of this is much more among like Tumblr tweens, but like, you know, I say I'm asexual. Who are you to invalidate that? It's like, well, for one thing, you if you're that sensitive about it, it doesn't sound like it's a deep and firmly held identity because it's invalidated yeah. so easily. But two is um, in some cases there might be reasons to put boundaries on certain labels. Like if asexual, if, if asexuality is an important label and we start applying it to people who do not meet the old definition, you obviously at least need a conversation about the new yeah. definition. And, I mean, and you um, could even say that that's why labels exist. Is yeah, of course. Have if labels don't have boundaries, then it's not a label. What's the point? Um, yeah. That's just the point I try to make. And, and I try to make it gently. People don't like it, but it's like you are calling for something to be redefined. And, and maybe that's okay. It happens all the time. But you can't, you can't just like do it by fiat and say you're not allowed to right. debate this redefinition. Yeah, totally. It's like, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't really make sense to me why it's hard for people because the counterpoint is literally that like, you can't be invalidated. That's not possible. Like, yeah, just universally. I don't understand why that's not like a really positive. And I I think if somebody genuinely understood it, it would be, but it seems like it's really difficult to overcome that fear of, uh, invalidation that's there to begin with so yeah i'm, I'm with you thank you for the call man it's really yeah, important sure. i, I kind of want to write more about validation discourse. i would love to read it yeah thanks Jesse. thanks menzel what's up menzel you're potentially the last caller you got there we go what's up dude um, yeah, I had a quick question about how to deal with the Chris Rufos of the world in terms of how do we give them our attention or more importantly, don't give them our attention. Um, you know, I see that like Sarah Rao tweeted today some kind of, uh, I don't know, rabble rousing tweet that's doing no numbers. It seems like her time is kind of over. Um, and I'm wondering how can we get there with folks like Rufo and these other kind of folks that just kind of meme and troll their way into the center somehow. I think, I mean, it's difficult because Rao is just a rabble rouser who just like tries to tweet incredible. This is a race to dinner woman, right? Correct. Yeah. She's the one that she, if anyone's unfamiliar, she'll, uh, she and her other friends will white women. It's sort of an S and M show. White women will pay them like $500 uh, to come eat dinner with them and call them racist. It's this weird ritual, but, um, um, Rufo is different and I don't think you can just ignore him because I think he's been very effective at what he does. And because he always, he does bring the primary documents. Usually I don't think he always presents them hundred percent accurately, but often he does. So I don't think you can ignore him in the way, uh, you can ignore someone like Rao or, or, you know, totally online activists. Uh, as I think Katie said, it looks like Rufo, you know, his goal is like to be the, um, uh, secretary of moral hygiene in the DeSantis white house or something. So he has real ambitions and I think he's pretty smart politically. So I, uh, you need countermeasures and, and to me it's tricky. And, and I just think, people disagree with this but i think part of the argument i think you would undercut it him and take the wind out of his sails to just say yeah there's some crazy trainings we should have quality control diversity equity and inclusion if we believe that's important as progressives we should have quality control in place similarly if we think it's important uh to teach kids about race and identity and gender at a young age obviously we want that to be developmentally appropriate you could say rufo is nut picking this tiny subset of radical educator types who, who no one 
in the democratic base even likes. And I think that messaging is rings fairly true. Does that make sense? Fair, fair enough. I don't know. I just kind of feel like he, there's, there's a whole universe uh, of people who are kind of rocketing up the charts just by trolling the stupid yeah. ideas. Um, and it, it's uh, something that frustrates me to no end. He's not the only one for sure. No, not at all. Um, yeah, no, thank you for the call though. That's that that's a it's a good question of like who do I I never know who to ignore and who to respond to and I often respond to people I shouldn't respond to. So who am I to say? Word up. Thank you, Justin. Have a good day. Uh that was it. That was a good little episode. I didn't give you guys much notice, but I was glad people showed up. Good conversation, good pushback. As always, I would just ask people to spread the word about the show. Uh listen to my stuff, read my newsletter. I've got a free essay coming out that I think will be of interest to people basically on the theory that journalists are supposed to morally handhold their readers to the right position. That if you interview Chris Rufo, every sentence should have parentheses is a bad dude who I don't like, which, you know, I, I find that idea ridiculous and anti antithetical to journalism. Uh, okay. Everyone have a good rest of the weekend and uh, you will hear from me soon. Farewell.